This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you're new here and you're kind of just settling in with us, starting on March the 3rd, we've been diving into the book of Acts. And we're looking at the transition of what does God want to do in our own personal lives in the book of Acts. Here's what we've landed on so far. That the Gospels tell us the story about Jesus Christ, the parables, the miracles that He did. And so there is the historical Jesus. Christians who know the stories, the vacation Bible school stories and all the things that Jesus did. Maybe even a lot of what Justin read in Matthew 5. You've heard people say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or, hey, if you have lust, pluck your eye out. Maybe you've even heard people kind of pull verses out talking about Jesus. Well, that's what we've kind of come to the conclusion. That's the historical Jesus. Meaning this. doesn't mean he wasn't real. It just means he's not real to you. It's the historical Jesus. It's the Jesus that walked the planet, the Jesus that you know about, the Jesus that you read about, but he's not really living actively in your own personal life, and that has brought us to this thought. There's also the resurrected Jesus. That is the Jesus that makes his home in your life. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and that is the Jesus that wants to change you, work through you, move through you, and bring his life to the world all the way through you, and you say amen to that, right? You say amen to that, right? Yeah, help me out just a little on that one. It's well worth it. He is a good God. And so we've been talking about that, the historical Jesus. Here's what I've lined out reading the book of Acts. I'm going to put a graphic on the screen for you. Probably about the last five weeks, we've been talking about this word witness. Like your own personal life really matters, God cares about your personal life. He cares about your character. He cares about the things you care about, uh, the way you talk, the things we've been reading, Ephesians 5, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. We've been reading all these chapters each week as a church, and I think we can at least conclude this, that in all of that reading, God does care about how we live because we are the salt of the earth. We bring a testimony to Jesus but you can't go through the book of Acts without bumping into this word called community. And the end result is bringing us into discipleship. Discipleship is that part of your life where you're changing, you're growing. The lust that you once had, you don't have anymore. You're starting to walk through those addictions. You're breaking those habits. You're becoming stronger in Christ. You're dying to yourself. You're living for His purposes. Uh, what we read a few weeks ago, uh, the greater is He, the greatness of God. He must become greater. I must become less. Is discipleship. But many people never even get to that part because it's, it's this word community that becomes so critical because it's hard to do community together. It's hard to do life together. We hear words like this, I don't want to go to church, it's full of hypocrites. 
I got my feelings hurt. Nobody called me. Nobody reached out to me. They ignored me. Nobody really lives it anyway. Everybody's just faking it anyway. And so we just have this casual mentality about this thing called community. Well, I'll go if I have time. I'll plug in if it works. And I don't know if you've been around Christians long enough, but the joke is, I don't know if I agree with it, but it's still kind of the running joke is that we'll kill you quicker than anybody else. We'll, we'll take our own wounded and, and hurt you worse than anybody else. There is just a litany of dead bodies along the way in this thing called church where we've gossiped and we've, uh, you know, we've just done the things that aren't even becoming of a Christian because we don't know how to do community together. We call it church. It's a religious hour on Sunday where we come, we put the mask on, we fake it, and then we just live this thing called church. But the real me goes and lives my life. The real me is Monday through Saturday. And this was never intended by God. I know we've messed it up after 2,000 years. But just because we messed it up doesn't make community any less important to God. Just because we've abused authority, just because we've turned it into a production and a show, just because it's filled up with hypocrites, just because televangelists want your money and need you to give $1,000, just because pastors blow it, just because a Sunday school teacher hurt your feelings, just because your best friend ignored you, whatever it is, I mean, we could have a, a list a mile long of the wounds and the hurts that humans cause each other. But it nevertheless does not negate the fact that the church is God's system of bringing life to our globe. It's his system. He designed it that way. I don't know why he just didn't let a bunch of motley crew guys just walk around Jerusalem just kind of casually doing it. No, he designed it so that out of community would come discipleship and out of discipleship would come this thing where everybody in the room becomes the message of Jesus Christ in your own 50 feet and then it just pushes people right back into this thing called community that we now call the church, that we now call believers, that we now call a uh, system of religion. So what better way to blow it than to let the devil take a system that God brought in for community to be the light of the world and turn it into a show and turn it into a, a religiosity of just a bunch of things we do on a Sunday to ease the guilty conscience that we all have. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, I want to read it to you and I want you to kind of pick up on what's going on about this thing called community. But you will receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way as you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to an upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. Gotta love that testimony. <laughs> the news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Al-Kadama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was written in the book of the Psalms, where it says, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever, he is, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness to Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs." Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. That's pretty powerful reading about the power of community. Because if you really kind of dissect it out, it's, it's not near as romantic as it reads. Because in this room of 120 people are, are 12 dudes that all tucked tail and ran. There's one of them that stabbed them all in the back, traded everybody out, and he committed suicide. There's a mother who had everything going for her with her son, and she watched them beat the pulp out of her boy called Jesus, and she's in the room with them. So you got 11 failed guys, one guy committed suicide, a mother who's had all of her dreams stripped from them, and yet for some reason they're all still wanting to gather together. They could have had excuses. My feelings have been hurt. Mary could have easily said, I can't believe you boys ran off and left my boy in the garden alone. She could have copped an attitude as a mother. I can't believe when you could have rescued him, you all took off running. You bunch of sorry losers of disciples. She could have really laid into him. And then the weird thing, the Bible says, and his brothers were there. I guess they could have copped an attitude too. I guess they could have said, well, I wasn't chosen. I wasn't the chosen one. Jesus was mom's favorite. We're just kind of sub-kids. They could have said that their brother was a lunatic like everybody else. They could have said, well, we're not going to sell ourselves to that because everybody thought our brother was demon-possessed. So there's a lot of excuses not to show up in this room. There's a lot of excuses not to gather together in this thing called community. There's a lot of vying for positions. There's a lot of excuses of hurts and who hurt who and when who got hurt where and how and why. 
And yet for some reason there's something more powerful going on that all of these emotional people who've had failures, all of these people who have been hurt, all of these people who all have brokenness, all of these people who are laden with weaknesses gathered together in an upper room and united themselves under a common banner because what they believed about Jesus was more powerful than their own lustful, emotional, excuse-ridden selves. And as I read that, I thought, no wonder community doesn't work well today. No wonder church hopping is so powerful today. I don't want to stay around too long. If I stay around too long, I find out you're broken. And when I find out you're broken, you may hurt me. And I will never be hurt like I was hurt before. I will never be done wrong again like I was done wrong before. I come in the door guarded. I come in the door with my walls up. I will never let somebody abuse me like they abuse me again. So I'm just going to kind of sit in the, in the, in the you know, what we call congregation. And I'm just going to kind of hide out. I'm never going to take the cloak off. I'm never going to take the mask off. I'm just going to fake it. I'm just going to always say things are good. I'm just going to always quote the religious words. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God is good. Oh, yes, and all the time. There's plenty of reasons these 120 people didn't need to show up. They could have said, I've been traveling with Jesus three years and this is all I get out of it. I left everything I had. I quit my business and I'm up here in an upper room with 120 people who all have reasons not to like each other. And then if you really want to know how desperate it gets, how would you like this? We're going to pick two people in this room to take the place of Judas Iscariot. So imagine how it's going to go. There's probably 120 plus people here today. So welcome to the upper room. And we've been stabbed in the back by Judas Iscariot. He's dead and his intestines spilled out. And all of you go, oh. Come on, enact it with me. Jesus Christ has left us. He's gone up and he's left us here in the room. We've been praying together. I don't know what's going to happen, but he told us don't leave. He told us we have to stay in this room until power comes. We have to stay in this room to witness. Mary, thank you for being here. Thank you that you didn't get your feelings hurt when they beat the stew out of your boy. I really appreciate that. Hey, John, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it that you didn't run off and leave him. I'm so grateful you're here. I thank you all for putting up with what you've been. We're all failures. Every one of us have tucked tail and run. Every one of us copped an attitude on him. But thank you today for coming back and meeting in this upper room because there's something bigger going on than our own emotions. There's something bigger going on than our own flesh and our own weakness. And then get ready because here's where it gets really dirty. Oh, we're going to pick two dudes, okay? I'm sorry, ladies, we're not going to pick any of you. Just get your feelings hurt. Just men. So now there's an opportunity for all the women to get upset. Why didn't he pick a woman? I can't believe he didn't pick me. Because there's some pretty powerful women. Mary Magdalene's there. She was the first person that saw him risen from the grave and was the first person ever to even witness was a woman. Come on, ladies. Mm, pow. This whole thing of God tells women to keep quiet and they don't need. You just always need to remember a woman was the first person that ever preached the gospel. And so here we are all in this room. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a failure. Everybody's got a brokenness. And now I'm going to pick two people. I'm going to pick 
I'm going to pick Bersabbas, and I'm going to pick Matthias. All right, boys, come on, Chris, stand up. You're now Matthias. Justin, stand up. The Bible reading extraordinaire. He's, he's Barsabbas. And then I'm going to really make them both feel good about themselves. Boys, we're going to let one of you replace Judas Iscariot. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to let God choose which one he wants best. So we pull out some straws and I pick out the straw and I say, Oh, everybody give Matthias a hand. You won. Give it up for Matthias. Welcome to the team. You're number 12. Sit down. You didn't make it. You don't really hear much about Barsabbas called justice anymore, do you? I wonder how he felt. I wonder if he copped an attitude and said, I can't believe God didn't choose me. I can't believe he chose Matthias. Wonder why I didn't get the straw. He could have copped an attitude, well, maybe God loves him more than he loves me. So now we got all kind of tension in the room. We got a mother that could be bitter. We got a prostitute that was forgiven and preached the gospel first. We got a guy named Thomas that didn't really even believe a thing. We got 11 other apostles that all tucked tail and ran. We've got brothers that called him an idiot and a nut and acted like he was out of his mind. They showed up. We've got a guy that just got his feelings hurt publicly because he didn't get picked on the team. We got another guy that could probably boast because he's now one of the 12. And we've got another guy named Saul that's not even in the room that's going to write the majority of the New Testament, but we don't even talk about him yet. And this is why we, it's hard to do church today. Because when we get 120 people in the room, the agenda now becomes about me rather than the agenda becoming about him. The agenda is about my feelings. The agenda is about my story. The agenda is all about who I am and what God can do for me. And it was never about that to this early church, what God can do for me. It was what can I do for Him. And if I have to die to me, if I have to die to my flesh, die to my hurt, die to the fact that I did not get chosen died to the fact that they killed my kid, died to the fact that I'm ticked at every one of you that left him. We will never be the people God has called us to be. And the devil knew it from the beginning because out of this motley crew of people that were the birth of the early church, sitting in an upper room called community, waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit to come. God birthed the local church out of a group of people who were willing to die to their flesh and their agenda to see the power of God. And the devil watched it because on day one, 3,000 new people are added to the plan. Less than a week later, 5,000 more what would we do at Believer's Church if by the end of August 8,000 people were showing up on this property? What would we do? I couldn't preach that many sermons. I guess if I wanted to be famous, I could. What would it take? It would take all of us dying to ourselves. It would take all of us saying, God, if you can use anything, use me. I've never preached before, but my, my, my hand's up if you want to use me, God. I'll just Whatever I can do for the kingdom, God, I'll do for the kingdom. And yet 2,000 years removed, 
what we have today are churches on every corner filled with broken people who've been hurt and abandoned, hurt by church, hurt by religion, hurt by agendas, hurt by spiritual authority, hurt by being neglected, hurt by being gossiped about, hurt by being talked about. And so what we've got, rather than real good community that produces discipleship, we have religion that produces membership. Well, I might join, I don't know. I might come every week, probably not. It's not that important. I might just come whenever I can fit it in. I understand that. I understand if if church is just a religious club, I understand just come whenever you can. But what I read in the New Testament, I read it was more powerful than what we've turned it into. I know we've turned it into that, so I'm good with that. I understand that. But what I read in the New Testament is that God's plan to start this thing we call church was 120 people with a lot of emotional brokenness And he started with a core of people in that emotional brokenness who were willing to die to the Holy Spirit coming in their life. And that's what I want to take in about the next maybe 15 minutes. And I want to talk to you about why it's so hard to get involved in community. Matthew chapter 5 where Justin read, if you'll turn back there if you will. Matthew chapter 5. Why is it so hard today to get in community with other believers? Why is it so difficult to do life together? Get our feelings hurt. Somebody bother us. Listen to what verse 27 states in Matthew 5. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Got to love Jesus. That's real inspiring. I'll go ahead and help you out in case you're feeling righteous about yourself. Every man in here would be blind right now. There wouldn't be one dude that'd have an eyeball left. If you've ever lusted after a woman, gouge your eye out. Your strong eye. Which would leave me now with a weak eye. Assuming that if my strong eye lusts after a woman... Well, my weak eye is going to lust too, meaning you're hopeless. Oh, and if your strong hand offends you, cut it off. Why? Because I'm going to just leave you with a weak hand. Why? Because if your strong hand offends you, well, your weak hand is going to leave you hopeless. What Jesus is leading us to is left to ourselves. We're hopeless. There's no hope without him. We're just blind, crippled people. There's no way we can make it without him in our life. And he says, if you want to make it with me, here's the deal. You're going to have to get rid of the thing you keep relying on so much. So if your eye, your strong eye offends you, pluck it out. Why? Because I want to leave you with a weak eye. If your strong hand offends you, chop it off. Why? Because I want to leave you with a weak hand. Okay, Jesus, what's up? Tell me what's going on. There's two kids. I heard a joke. This is a joke. Uh, It could be true. If it's true, it's really cool. I'd like to meet them. 
two kids were in a Catholic church up in the balcony. And the nun that was leading the service tripped and fell. And when she fell, her habit came up and her panties were showing. The priest jumps up and says, Let there be no one here who looks upon her that does will go blind. And everybody just closed their eyes immediately because they didn't want to go blind. So the two kids were in the balcony. The one kid looked at the other kid and he had his eyes closed and he peeked at the other and he just had one hand over his eye. He said, what are you doing? He said, well, I just thought I'd give it a try and see if it'd really work. Right? (laughs) That's a pretty smart kid. Like, well, I I, I am going to lust, but I'm going to keep one hand over my eye to still be religious. I think that's a lot of Christians today. I am going to lust, I am going to be broken, I am going to be weak, but I'm going to make sure that I kind of keep my religiosity at bay. And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. This whole thing of faking it, this whole thing of being phony, this whole thing of just saying the words, hallelujah, amen, hey brother, hey sister, how are you doing? God, God is good and all the time. We're great at faking it. Because here's the reason I found out why. We're good at faking it because humans are not designed to expose their weaknesses. This is why Jesus said if your your strong hand offends you, get rid of it. If your strong eye offends you, get rid of it. Why? Because you cannot serve me when you're constantly relying on your own ambitions, your own egos, your own emotions, your own self-righteousness. The only way it's going to work, Mark, is you're going to have to die to your strengths and then be left with your weaknesses. Jesus, why would you leave me with just weaknesses? Because, Mark, it's when you're weak that I become strong. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's probably, I'm not going to take time to really teach on this, but it is a good thought. It's probably the most misconstrued, misquoted, misunderstood passage of scriptures in the entire New Testament. And I'll tell you why before we read it. Everybody, you know, that's a Christian says, well, Paul's thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And then we act like that's, you know, blood sugar problems. I stump my toe, that's my thorn in the flesh. My husband's my thorn in my flesh. You know, I mean, we've debated through religion, we've debated for years, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? Here it is. I'll help you. For those of you that love to study, I'm going to throw a few scriptures and you can study it. His thorn in the flesh was people. It wasn't sickness and disease. It was people. Just for those of you that like to read. Paul says three times I'm coming to you Corinthians. Three times in this passage he said, this is my third time to come to you. And every time I come, these dad blamed super apostles come in after me and mess it all up. I come the second time, they come back in and mess it all up. This is now my third time coming to preach Jesus to you. And every time I preach Jesus to you, these people, after I'm done, come in and just stir the pot and stir everything up. He said, I've asked God three times to get rid of this thorn in my side. And then talking about people, just so you know that's what it is. Paul was well-schooled in the law. Numbers 33:55 says, those that do not believe and follow God will be a thorn in your side. 
So Paul even tells us, even leans in to why community doesn't work a lot. Because people can be thorns in your sides. Because I don't want to have to deal with people. I want to just love God at home by myself. I don't want to deal with people. I want to come in the door, sit down, and go out the door. I don't want people to know my junk. I don't want people to know my problems. I don't want people to know my story. I just want to go and do the God thing, get the guilt off my shoulders, do church, drop God a $5 bill, and go home. Because we don't like weaknesses being exposed, especially in church, especially from preachers in the pulpit. I'll help you out. There's not a one person preaching the gospel today that has their act together. We're all human. We're all weak. And this is what Paul said. Verse 8, Corinthians 12. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, he didn't say no. He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. Look at that again. I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. This is what it takes to do community together. A willingness to just expose our weaknesses. A willingness to not fake it. A willingness to not try to make excuses and wear phony masks that you have no problem. I don't want people to know I'm addicted to porn. I don't want people to know that I take prescription meds. I don't want people to know that my marriage is on the rocks and we might get a divorce. I don't want people to know I'm angry. I don't want people to know that I flirt with my secretary. I don't want people to know that I've cheated on my wife. I don't want people to know that I'm a closet alcoholic. I don't want people to know that I lust after every woman I see. I don't want people to know that. I don't want people to know that I'm struggling with my sexuality. I want to go to church and I want to say, hey, brother. Hey, sister, how are you? Oh, good. All is well. And I think the reason we do that is we've just been around long enough. I don't want to be gossiped about, posted about. I don't want my junk out there on social media. I don't want my, my life, my personal life out there. And so this thing that is so powerful called community has been hijacked by a demonic purpose to where we all just kind of shy away from ever being truly real with one another. Our lives are falling apart, but I'm not going to call anybody and ask them for prayer. 20 plus years in ministry, and I hear this a lot, oh man, I, I, pastor, I'm so sorry I didn't call you. Well, why wouldn't you? I just didn't want to bother you. Well, what are you talking about? You don't want to bother me. Yeah, I know you're busy. This is what community's about. It's not about I'm busy, don't call me. It's, this is why we do community. We do community because we're hurting. We do community because we're broken. We do community because my marriage is on the rocks. I do community together because I need somebody to walk with me through the journey called life because I don't want to be left alone in this thing. Just last week, I, I come back from vacation. and Man, I just had a great week, vacation, hip hoorah. I come home on Monday morning, I get the text, hey, pastor, just want you to know we're $5,000 short. We can't pay the bills. And immediately come the thoughts, you're never going to make it. You're never going to pay for it. You were stupid to build it. Can't believe you did it. 
should have just kept the kids in the basement and worked out the doo-doo smell on your own. Right? I mean, an instantaneous, the enemy. I don't even know why you do that. You, I don't even know why you try. People aren't going to get behind you. You thought you were going to, you, yeah, rah, rah, and, and it's just bang, bang, bang. But I want to tell you something. There's power in community. There's power in community because the moment the voices start coming, the moment the lies start coming, thank God for Holy Spirit, tongue-talking, Bible-believing, whatever you want to call them, men of God. And I started texting them, hey, fellas, we had a low offering. I don't know if we can pay the bills, but I do want you to know, I do believe God's going to come through. I believe God's going to speak to somebody. I believe God. I believe God. And everybody's texting me back, hang in there, pastor. We've got this. God's got this. Don't worry about it. That's what community does for you. Community keeps you in the game when you feel like pouting. Community keeps you in the game when the devil's beating you over the head with a baseball bat that you're a failure. You're no good. You've blown it. You're never going to be used by God. You were stupid to do that. And he will literally beat you over the head emotionally. He will even send people to help the beating process. This is why community where we come together in our weaknesses, not in our selfishness, not in our egos. We don't have time for ego in the kingdom of God. We don't have time for jealousy and bitterness in the kingdom of God. It is a warfare. We have to pull together in humility, pull together in our brokenness and say, God, be strong through us. It's not like I'm just sitting here breezing through life because I'm a preacher. I have to text Robin. Robin, we have to encourage each other. We can overcome this. I love the very fact that when our marriage was really going through a rough time in 2010, I love the fact that we had men and women of God on our team that were pulling for us. Community that kept us together. When you want to run, it's community that pulls you back in the game. It's community that says, man, you've got to be discipled. I know you want to pout. I know you're hurt. I know you blew it. I know you're addicted. I know you like porn. I know you're struggling. I know you want to get a divorce, but grow up and get over it. We all have problems. We all have weaknesses. That's why there's power in community. And I have seen it over and over and over, even in my own life, that the moment hell begins to break loose, we pull away from community. I'll work it out myself. I'll work it out on my own. I'll go back to my little happy place. I'll go back to my security blanket. And maybe that's different for everybody in the room. My security blanket's pouting. When things don't go well, if I'm not careful, I find myself pouting. My brain goes to a dark place of thoughts, of believing the lies of the devil. But I've learned over the years to recognize that lie. I've learned over the years to surround myself with men of God that encourage me. I've learned over the years to surround myself with a wife that'll bring me up when I feel like pouting. Why? Because that's the power of community. And yet we've turned it into church. We've turned it into a religiosity. We've turned it into a program. We've turned it into an hour-long get-in-the-door, get-out-the-door, brand you with our logos, brand you with our T-shirts, and send you out there into your broken marriages, your broken lives, and your addictions. But just wear our T-shirt, wear our brand, and come back next week and just stay in the game, baby. And churches are filled today with people who will never feel comfortable enough to just raise their hand and say, man, that's me, I'm the broken 
than one. I'm the one thinking about divorce. I'm the one going through the hell. I'm the one that's struggling with the addiction. It's me. I want to raise my hand. It's me. I want you to know I'm not going to leave. That's what it takes to do community together. In my weakness, he's strong. And I will say this. I mean, I'm not bragging on me. It's not easy to stand up here publicly and tell people my issues. I mean, I try. Like, right? I don't want to embarrass my wife, my kids. But I at least try to stand up here and tell you the, the areas where I've blown it. I, I've told you my stories before. I've told you that I, I have committed adultery before. I've told you that I've, I've been drunk before. I, I mean, I've told you all those stories. If you've been here a long time, you've heard the dirty details of my life. But, but I like the fact in that that God, God raises up the men and women of God to do community with you. To walk through it with you. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you, is this your community? Maybe you've been coming quite a while, but you've just never publicly said, hand up. Yes, I want Believer's Church to be my community. I don't know what you've experienced in the past. I don't know what kind of church you've been a part of. I don't know what your pastor was like before. I don't know what your church experienced, good, bad, or ugly. I have no clue. But I know what Robin and I want to build on this corner. And we're not trying to build a mega church with a bunch of butts in the seats. What we really both believe that God has called us to do is to build people. It's to build you. It's to build your heart, your marriage. It, but, but if you come and you're never vulnerable, if you're never willing to raise your hand and go, yeah, would you pray for me? I need that. That's me. I'm that broken person. I'm that person that's struggling over here. And that's the kind of house Robin and I want to bring. We want to bring a body of people that all raise their hand and go, man, we've all chopped our hand off and we've all lost our eye. Why? Because it's in our weakness God is strong. Welcome home. Welcome home drug addictions. Welcome home religious people. Welcome home. It doesn't matter who you are. Welcome to love, power, and community because we believe out of the love of Jesus comes the power of the Holy Spirit that plants us in a community where, where our weaknesses can be shown to be strong. So it takes vulnerability. It takes humility because we're so great at faking it as Christians. I want you to turn to James chapter 3. And while you turn there, for those of you that love to study a little more, I want you to think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this about Jesus Christ. He has the wisdom and the power of God. Christ Jesus, Corinthians 1.24 Jesus Christ, the wisdom and the power of God. I wonder why Paul wrote that. Because remember, I plucked my eye out and I chopped my hand off and I became weak. But in my weakness, Christ is made strong. Who is Christ? He is the wisdom. I get my eye back. And He is the power of God. I get my hand back. That the moment I lay my life to Christ, everything I lost for Him, He gives me back. And now rather than seeing life through my lustful eye, I see life through His wisdom. Rather than seeing life through my own self-help and my own self-sufficiency, I now see life through His power. 
I don't have to rely on me anymore. I can rely on him. I don't have to lust after things anymore. I can, I can rely on his wisdom. Listen, if you will, to James chapter 3. It is going to be our Bible reading for the week coming. And then I'm going to read it in a version after this one that I think really kind of hits home. Verse 13, if you will. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. In other words, selfishness, ego, emotionalism, all of that gets in the way of this gathering And we can end up just covering it all over with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder of every evil kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is just my opinion of that section we just read. I think this is what was going on in Acts chapter 1. Because it says where there's selfish ambition and envy, there's every evil work. But what we saw coming out of that community of believers was not every evil work. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Because they decided to gather together, not in ego, not in emotions, not in selfishness, not in bitterness, not in jealousy. They decided to gather together in God's wisdom. And the beauty of God's wisdom is He put people from all walks of life with a thousand different stories, with every one of us having a weak area, and he stuck us in something called church. He shook us up in a bag. He said, now get along with each other and represent me well. And the devil hates it when we come together in community. Listen to this version. It's called the Passion Translation. I just want you to hear how it's written because I think it speaks so Greatly to what is going on. James chapter 3. Same chapter, verses. Verse 13. If you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life guided by wisdom's gentleness. Never brag or boast about what you've done. And you'll prove that you're truly wise. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. Don't hide your heart by boasting and being phony. Don't compensate for your pain by being phony. Don't compensate for what you're going through by being phony. Let me put it this way. Don't compensate that you're falling apart by boasting all the religious words, brother, sister, amen, hallelujah, and being phony. Open your life up and let the humility of God work. And that's what Robin and I's heart is. Our heart is to build a church on this corner that is okay with weak people. Because in our weakness, he's strong. 
It's okay to be broken. It's okay to have a marriage problem. It's okay to say, I fail. It's okay to say, I'm addicted. It's okay to say, I struggle with porn. It's okay to say all this stuff. Why? Because we believe the moment you confess it, the moment you bring it to the strength of Jesus, the moment you take it out of your strong hand and you give it to God, the moment you take your eye out and you give it to God, God's power begins to take over. His Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. He begins to move you into His plans and purposes. He begins to work you in such a way that when he's done with you, verse 48 of Matthew 5, you're perfect in him. That's what I want to see for this house. Would you bow your heads? And I want you to just let that soak in because I'm going to ask in just a minute if you've never had a home or maybe you've been coming here a while but you've just never publicly said, you know what? I think I just want to commit and make this home. There's no spooky ritual we're going to go through. Just going to ask you to come up. There's no class you got to go through. It's just I feel like this is the community of believers I want to be a part of. But what I'm going to ask is when you come up, you're just going to have to be vulnerable with life. We'll walk it through with you, go through it with you. We'll stand with you, agree with you, cry with you, rejoice with you. So would you just take a moment, pray. Father, is this church my home? Is this a place I need to plant my life? And if it is, in just a moment when we all stand, I'll ask you to be bold. I think we had about nine people come up first service. And we just prayed over them and introduced them to the church. And we all kind of just went out high-fiving, loving each other, welcoming new people to our family. But you need a home. If it's not believers, then let us help you find that. But you need a home. You don't need to be out alone not having community. Not having a group of people that will walk with you through life and lead you and guide you and help you and stand with you and fight for you. Like the elders that fought for me when I said, look, it's been a bad week financially. They all gathered together and pray, and by the end of the week, every need was met. Community. The power of community. Would you stand with me, if you will? And if that's you, if you want to say, you know what, I want to link arms with you, I'm going to ask Robin to come up here on the stage with me. If that's you, I want you to just be bold and come on out. Get out of your seat now if you want to come. If, if this is something you would love to do, make your family part of this, yeah, come on out and just line up across the front, and then we're going to pray for you. We're going to welcome you to the house today. Come on, let's give them a hand as they come. Amen. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, you can face this way. Now, let me just talk honest with you a minute. I don't know everybody's story. I know where you've come from but I'm glad you're part of the team. I'm glad you're part of what God wants to do. You have gifts, you have talents, you have purposes. You have things that God's spoken to you before. But your story comes because your story is given to you to share it in a powerful way of what Jesus has done for me. But I'm just asking if you're coming on board, be vulnerable. People need to know their love. People need to know where you've been. People need to know your story. People need to know what you struggle with. 
And then you become part of the team and we lock arms together. And it's not just me and Robin and a handful of other people. It's all 120 in the room lock arms and go, man, we're willing to die for this thing called Jesus. Three words are important to us. And this is what I'll just ask you to agree with. I'm not asking you to be perfect people. Nobody is. But I'm asking you when you walk out the door, those three words matter to us a whole lot. Love. Everybody deserves love. Everybody. And one thing we don't do is look down on anybody's situation. Everybody deserves the love of Jesus equally well. So love people well. Number two, power. It's not up to us to change anybody. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just introduce them to Jesus, and then Jesus takes over and does the rest. And then community. We don't check a box every time you come. We don't make you swipe a card when you come in the door. But if you're part of the family, get part of community. Make yourself available. Plug in. Give. Serve. Work for the kingdom. And then the final thing is this. You'll hear it over and over. It's called your 50 feet. And we ask when you walk out of these doors, this isn't what it's about here. This is just a filling station. When you walk out the door, that's where the life of God wants to take over. Own your 50 feet and do what God's called you to do. I'm going to ask some of you in the family, some of our prayer folks, and just anybody to come up and stand behind all these that are here as a family, as a church family. So if you don't mind getting out of your seat and just come over and stand behind some. And we're just going to take a minute, make it real easy. Michael's going to lead us in a song. Robin and I are going to come by and just pray for you. And we're just going to lay our hands on you and welcome to the family. At the end of that comes the fun part. We'll all step up on the stage. You get to introduce yourself. So you get to tell your name, and we get to all clap for you and welcome you to the family. So as Michael leads everybody in worship, would you just stretch your hands out to all of our new family that's here as we pray for them now? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 